Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, a podcast that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed in networks, but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. Uh, we have a date for our next show. It's a little ways off. It'll be Saturday, September 14th at the WGA West Theater, new venue for us. We're still putting the program together, but I know we will have a great Dead Pilot from Dan Sterling creator of the Sarah Silverman program, writer of Longshot. Did everybody see Longshot? It's so good. Uh, his pilot's great. There'll be a couple uh, others, too. We're working on that all. More details to come, but mark your calendars for September 14th. So I've been thinking lately about how lucky I feel to be a part of the community of television comedy writers. Um, there's a fluidity to the job where I might be interviewing a writer one year for a show that I'm running, and the next year she might be interviewing me. And there's a bond that forms when you're in a writing room with people. Even if the show doesn't last very long, you always feel this special connection to those people that you've been in the trenches with. Uh, I know it's probably a little offensive to use the trenches metaphor. It's like writing jokes is not exactly the Battle of Verdun, but whatever. Um, I was thinking about this because an unimaginable tragedy happened to someone from this TV comedy world recently. And at the Shiva at her house, I saw just dozens of writers. Uh, and we're all, you know, they're all, all of us are connected to this writer from being in rooms with her. And most of us are connected to each other from being in other rooms. And it felt like a true community and I think it's one that's unique in show business so if you're listening to this because you're interested in being a television writer I'd say it's a reason to keep trying it's a perk that people don't talk about as much as the money and the free snacks but it really is one of the best things about the job uh, so, so that was maybe a little heavier than I wanted to get so let's get to the comedy uh, our dead pilot this time is called Lenny's Doing Great and His Family's Terrific. And it's from Matt Fussfeld and Alex Cuthbertson. Matt and Alex have written on The New Girl, Community, American Dad, and now on Single Parents. This is a really good pilot, guys. Uh, interesting three-dimensional characters, fresh situations and dynamics between the characters. Um, it really didn't feel like it had been put through the network blander, as we say. Um, and as always on Dead Pilot Society, a killer cast, even more so than most times on this one. I felt like we really found the cast that the guys would have wanted if this had gone to series. We had the legendary Jack McGee from The Fighter and the McCarthys as Lenny, Busy Phillips from Busy Tonight as Gloria, Rob Hubel from Transparent as Mark, Drew Tarver from The Other Two as Evan, Parvesh China from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend as Reno, Sabrina Jalice from Netflix's The Comedy Lineup as Sabrina. Nicole Sullivan from Mad TV as Joanna. Liz Jenkins from Blackish as Regina. Greg Santos from Great News as Teddy, the waiter, the student, and the officiant. Sid Steinberg from The Cool Kids as the customer and the waitress. And Ali Gandor from The Goldbergs as the insane-looking man and the police captain. I had a fun conversation with Matt and Alex where we got to hear about their real grandfathers who inspired this pilot, uh, about how they got their first gig on American Dad and then made the transition to live action with Community and New Girl, about the keys of writing together as a team, lots more. We did not get into why they're so uh, rough on Boston in this pilot. I don't know. Um, so definitely... 
Don't stop listening after the reading of the pilot. Don't delete the episode after the pilot. Stay tuned for that great interview. By the way, my co-host, Ben Blacker, you won't hear uh, his voice on this one. He wasn't able to be at this show, but he is always uh, with us in spirit. So now, recorded live at the Improv in Hollywood, here's Lenny's doing great and his family's terrific after a brief message. Hi, I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. And we host One Bad Mother, a comedy podcast about parenting. Whether you are a parent or just know kids exist in the world, join us each week as we honestly share what it's like to be a parent. And then that's how my day starts. Yeah. Come on. I'm I, so I, sick of it. <laughs> when is that going to be over? Like, I want it to stop. <laughs> Teresa, you're hurting my ears. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Yeah, no, that's... I just hate it. Yeah, I don't blame <laughs> you. It sucks. It really sucks. So join us each week as we judge less, laugh more, and remind you that you are doing a great job. Find us on MaximumFun.org, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lenny's Doing Great and His Family's Terrific, written by Matt Fussfeld and Alex Cuthbertson. It's Act One. We're exterior of Beacon Hill apartment building, morning, a handsome building on a picturesque Boston street. The Chiron reads, Boston, Massachusetts, America's 18th best city. <laughs> Lenny, 70s, dapper and knows it, gets dressed for a formal occasion. He whistles while buttoning his shirt and tying his tie. He loves the mirror. He slides into his suit jacket and does the finishing touches, singing to his reflection. Handsome guy, diggity, diggity, diggy, handsome guy. <laughs> He checks out his tush in the mirror. Here we go, baby. He dabs on cologne and jazz walks through his beautiful Mm -hmm. apartment, passing several framed pictures of himself, local magazine covers, articles, old advertisements, the furniture king of Boston. Murphy's Beds expands to 10th location, Beantown Bed Baron. There are also vanity shots of Lenny, the low-level Boston dignitary, skiing with Wade Boggs, etc., he sings as he walks. Doop, doop, doop. Stiggity, stiggity, doop, doop, doop. He walks into his penthouse vestibule and onto the elevator. Gold trim and real wood. Fancy. He continues his dumb song. Ziggity, dip, dip. Bop, bop, doop, bop, bop. The elevator door opens, and we're in the lobby. He steps into the elegant lobby. The doorman, Reno, 60s, cheerful, but has seen some shit in his life, stands. Wow, look at you, boss. Yeah, baby, it was made. It was made personally by my apprentice at Ralph Lauren, who was later murdered. (laughs) He does a spin, very proud of how he looks. Ah, just dynamite. Thank you. Ah, sensational. Thanks, Reno. You look like Clooney. And God bless you. (laughs) You'll easily be the best-looking guy at your wife's funeral. Mm -hmm. And we cut to the main title, Lenny's doing great and his family's terrific. We're exterior of his apartment building. Moments later, he impatiently looks down the street. Reno stands nearby. So your whole family's coming? Yeah, the whole Murphy crew. Oh. Too bad it took a funeral. But boy, am I looking forward to having everyone together in one room. My daughter Gloria's even come from California bringing my grandson. Evan? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember him. He was such a fat little kid. Ah, all grown up now. He's in his uh, late teens, uh, 20s, uh, I'd say under 30. Uh, uh, where is the damn car? Yeah, hey, 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 if you're busy with your family this weekend and you need someone to take your socks tickets. No <laughs> one takes my socks tickets, Reno, ever. Come on, you know that. Yeah, sorry. 
I'm not too smart. Mm. My older brothers used to drown me pretty bad. A chauffeur town car pulls up. Reno gets the door for Lenny and then weirdly also gets in the car with him. Inside the town car, as they settle in, Lenny nods to the chauffeur, Gigi, 50s, in an ill-fitting black suit, then turns back to Reno. You know, Gloria hasn't been to Boston since my first wife's funeral. Truth is, she hates my friggin' guts. Nah, come on, boss. No way that's true. Mm. And we go to an establishing shot. Chiron reads, Boston Logan Airport, a medium-quality airport for a medium-quality city. <laughs> we hear Gloria's voice off screen. I hate his friggin' guts. At airport, in the airport arrivals, Evan Murphy, 24, kind. You could see him being best friends with a dog that doesn't belong to him. <laughs> he talks on the phone to his mom, Gloria. <laughs> Middle-aged, a waiter's worst nightmare. As he rolls his suitcase through the airport, we intercut with Gloria in her kitchen. Evan's dad, Ira, he's got a mustache and glasses but makes no impression, is in the background mixing a glass of Metamucil. Okay, Mom, I know you have your feelings about Grandpa. I hated his wife, too. Third time was not the charm. He does not deserve you going all that way for him. Okay, I hear that you feel that way, but he and I have our own relationship. Relationship? He never came to see you in California. Not even when you played Harpo in that race-bending production of A Color Purple. <laughs> Did you invite him? Of course not. He ruins everything ever since I was a kid. Did you know he stripped my piano teacher? at my recital while I was playing. You have mentioned it, Mom. Yes, look, I know you left Boston to get away from him, but that's why I wanted to come here to break the cycle. We all need to start communicating how we really feel. A man rolls over Evan's foot with a luggage cart. It's okay, that's fine. You, uh, you have a good day, sir. Back into I, the phone. I wanna prove that that a family can move past deep-seated resentment. See, this is why you're gonna be such a good therapist, honey. Right, Ira? Ira doesn't hear her. Daddy says hi. <laughs> hey, are you sure it's okay to be away from school this close to finishing your master's? He, shif he shifts uncomfortably, clearly covering. It's, it's perfect, perfect. Joanna couldn't have died at a better time. For me, for me, and my, and my schedule, you know, obviously. It's very sad, very sad. But, uh, Mom, listen, I should go, okay? I gotta find the tea to Uncle Mark's. I, 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 remember, you take the shuttle to the blue line. Blue, like our favorite Joni Mitchell song. I love you. 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 Evan spots the shuttle and gets on. The shuttle driver hates this exchange. As he sits, Evan mouths, it's my mom, which doesn't help. He hangs up. An elderly woman gets on. Evan stands to give her his seat. She looks confused, and reveal, we reveal that the bus is mostly empty. She sits in one of the many other available seats. Evan self-consciously continues to stand, <laughs> pretending to stretch. We're interior of the funeral home later. Very few people mill about. Lenny stands with Reno and Gigi. Not a great crowd. Lean. Yeah, is that Patrice from your Cambridge store? Yeah, so far it's all the people who work for me. I'll tell you what. He hands some cash to Gigi and Reno. Grab some seat fillers off the street. Non-homeless preferred. And quick, my son and his family will be here in a minute. Mark's a good boy. He wouldn't miss this for the world. And we're exterior middle-class Brookline house. Uh, I'd do literally anything to get out of this. Inside the house in the kitchen, it was last decorated in 1995. Mark, middle-aged, sweet but mad inside, is talking to Sabrina, 20s, flat brim hat, ironic fuller house tattoo. 
Oh, Dad, the great thing about not doing things, you just don't do them. No, no, I should go. I mean, he is my father. Although he once denied it in court to avoid child support. But nonetheless, your Aunt Gloria is not coming, of course. So as usual, I have to be the good son. Yeah, Macaulay Culkin was in The Good Son, I'm with you. You're with me, Dad? Dad, look at me. What about Macaulay Culkin? I want to tell you something about Macaulay Culkin. What's up? He was in The Good Son, but he was evil and killed people. Maybe try that. You are so witty. <laughs> and you know what? You would be good at anything that you choose to do. Anything. He kisses her head. She rolls her eyes. Regina, 40, positive, never exercises, but is always in exercise clothes. <laughs> And Teddy, age seven, enter. Baby, will this funeral have snacks? If you're there, it will, my queen. He playfully eats her neck. Sabrina puts her arm around little Teddy. Oh, dude, Teddy, I'm sorry you got to see this. When Dad was married to my mom, all I saw was fighting, so I had it pretty good. My favorite Ninja Turtle is Michelangelo. Uh, why? Because he's a party dude? Make better choices. Just then, Evan's smiling face pops up in the window. Hey, guys, it's me. It's Evan. Ah! Evan. Jeez, you scared me. Mark opens the door and envelops Evan in a giant hug. Wow. <laughs> All right, look at you, my man. Your chest is as broad as a pizza box, Mr. Malibu Suntan. <laughs> Sabrina, what's up, cuz? He puts both hands up to greet her. She frowns. Are you going for a sincere high 10? Uh, yeah, what other kind is there? Hey, Regina, Teddy, hey, little cuz. Oh, look at you in that broad chest, looking like Greg Louganis. <laughs> Swimmer's body. <laughs> That's what I was saying. <laughs> wow. Hey, so Evan, do you need anything before the funeral? I got, a, uh, I got Boston bagels, real Boston pizza, turkey slices, Twix. The only thing you're not going to find in this house is a frown. Sabrina points to her own face. Oops, found one. Not if you turn that upside down. Mm. <laughs> he tries to pick Sabrina up, struggles, and gives up. Jesus, Dad. Oh, fuck, my back. Um, <laughs> it's not your fault. You are perfect. You are perfect with your cute little body. Hey, Evan, did you know... That um, Sabrina is applying to the very same college where Mr. Robin Williams taught a little film called Goodwill Hunting. It's the crappy community college. Uh, and I'm still not sure if I'm applying. I might. Mark bristles but puts on an aggressively ah, cheering face. It's exciting. Life is exciting. Everybody get in the van. It's funeral time. All right. And we go to the funeral home <laughs> chapel later. Lenny chats with the small crowd. A giant easel holds a picture of Joanna, 70s, too done up. Mark, Sabrina, Evan, Regina, and Teddy enter and take in the odd, sparse crowd. Wow, this is uh, intimate. Yeah, uh, Joanna was not for everybody. <laughs> but, uh, but your grandpa did love her, you know, passionately. Remember what he did at your grandmother's funeral? And we flash back to the funeral home. The whole family's there. An officiant presides. Anita's first husband, Lenny, has asked to say a few words. Mark and Gloria look at each other. What the fuck? Lenny, Lenny stands. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to say Anita was a devoted mother, grandmother, and friend. She was the love of my life. 
Everybody looks at each other, surprised but touched. Until I met my sweet Joanna. We reveal Joanna in the pews. Lenny struggles to one knee. Joanna, will you marry me? You motherfucker! <laughs> Gloria leaps over a pew and charges straight at Lenny. We come back to the present day. Well, look, that is all in the past. Let's just be here for Grandpa now. Mark crosses to Lenny and hugs him. Hey, Pop, how you holding up? Uh, better now that you're here, bub. He takes in the rest of the family. Uh-oh, call the cops. Murphy's on the loose. He hugs Evan. Look at you. Your chest is as broad as a newspaper. <laughs> you look good. Less fat than what I'm, what I'm saying. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, thank you, thank you. You know, it was a, it was a lot of work, but I was, I was getting bullied pretty bad, so... Yeah. I, That's terrific. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that is terrific. Where's your mom? On the can? <laughs> I was thinking after the funeral, <coughs> we'll all go out for a big family lunch, huh? Uh, more time together. Sounds great. Uh, Grandpa, um, my mom feels terrible, but she she actually couldn't make it. What? So, yeah, but, but she sends her love. Her love? What do I do with that? Unbelievable. I might as well cancel the whole damn thing. You know, a lot of us uh, are here, Dad, so maybe we should just focus on that. And also... Uh, yeah, on remembering Joanna. What the hell is this? And we, oh, we angle on Joanna, Lenny's <laughs> dead wife, entering pissed. Uh, here we go. Why is my face on a funeral easel? <laughs> oh, my God. Whoa. No, 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 no. Let me explain. Explain what? That you faked my death to get some attention from your family who hates you? It's Here's some attention. I'm leaving you, you sociopath! Okay, okay, okay. <coughs> I don't imagine everyone's gonna go for this, but... <coughs> but I didn't hope... Oh, my God, what a miracle. She's alive again. <laughs> huh? Would anybody buy it? Nope. Okay, I didn't think so. <laughs> and off their angry looks, we end Act One. Act two, we're interior Lenny's apartment. A dejected Lenny shuffles paperwork. Reno sits on the couch. Uh, today was supposed to be such a happy day. How did it go so wrong? Yeah, people get sensitive about faking death. <laughs> I personally don't understand it, but they do. I had to do it. It was the only way I could get my family together in one place. Is that so wrong? Lenny angrily scatters the paperwork. Ah, uh, you're all worked up, boss. What's going on with these papers? Nothing, nothing. God, I was... I was so close. Now I'll, I'll never get him back. Yeah. But on the bright side, it makes me and you more like family. I don't even know your last name, Reno. <laughs> hmm? Got to find a way back in. I just need everybody in the same room one more time. Hey, did, did my grandkids seem mad? Reno um, shrugs. Ah, that's my shot. Hmm? I get in good with them. They help smooth the way with their parents, and boom, I'm gonna send them a text, something casual. Greetings, Sabrina. This is your grandfather. I'm composing a text letter to you via text messenger. <coughs> is that what you say? Perfect. Mm. And we're exterior of Boston Tavern, a basement level bar, a half flight down from the street, under an awning and a sign marked Boston Tavern, 
with an old-style hand pointing downstairs, exactly like Cheers. It's part shitty pub, part shitty tourist trap gift shop. Evan and Sabrina belly up to the bar. A few overweight tourists in tank tops nudge in next to them to take pictures. Look at this. Cousins grabbing a drink. No, don't do that. Uh, don't don't do Cuzbuzz. Don't do that. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, sorry, sorry. Um, well, uh, just out of curiosity, why why did you pick uh, this place? Um, because it's awesome. You know the show, right? And we quick pop to a cheersy opening credits for Boston Tavern. <laughs> the theme song is "Where Everybody Knows Your Face." Back to scene. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Is this uh? This is like the real bar, or? <laughs> Who are you, my elderly neighbor? They shoot TV shows on a soundstage. When they don't go, they read the scripts at the improv. <laughs> oh. God. They use this bar for the exterior, so it got famous, and now tourists come and buy shirts and hats and for their dumb bodies. It's the worst bar in Boston. Uh, so you, uh, you don't like it, but you, you come here. Yeah. How are you not getting this? Her phone dings and she checks it. Oh, hold on. Uh, holy yikes. A text from Grandpa? <laughs> he wants to meet up. What do we do? Oh, oh, man. Uh, I mean, the whole reason I came here was to help our family heal, but that, that funeral stunt? I mean... <laughs> it was nuts. Like, no spin. It was just like a Logan Paul YouTube <laughs> prank. <laughs> our Grandpa sucks. Evan thinks a beat. You know, um, one time I, I threw myself off of a ski lift because I really wanted to, to, to get a cast for other kids to sign. <laughs> my, my, uh, my point is, maybe Grandpa was desperate for attention. Um, you know, our parents are pretty hard on him. Uh, truth. And they never take a look at themselves. It's like, Grandpa was bad, Dad, so our parents were super good. Is that better? My dad loves everything I do, and trust me, I suck. <laughs> same, same. I mean, my, my mom thinks I'm perfect, and I know it's not obvious, but I have a ton of problems. Oh, no, 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 dude, it's, it's very obvious. Okay. <laughs> Did not realize that. Well, I mean, man, our, our parents really have no idea. No idea. Just because they hate Grandpa, do we have to? We, we have to be the ones to push for change. Damn, Obama, I am feeling you. <laughs> Write Grandpa back. Tell him to meet us. Don't fucking tell me what to do. Sorry. Dear Grandfather, <laughs> I have received your text letter in good health. And we go to Mark's house. Mark pops cinnamon bun buns from a tube onto a baking sheet while talking on the phone. We intercut with Gloria on the other end in her living room. Ira is in the background on his iPad. This may be the worst thing Dad's ever done. Worse than when he smoked cigarettes during my wedding. He doesn't even smoke. He just wanted to make it about him. Yeah? Re remember when he crashed his car and he said that I was driving so his insurance didn't go up? My insurance went up. In the background, Ira sneezes. Ira says hi. <laughs> Dad is literally unbelievable. I, I can't believe him. I can. But probably just because I have to deal with him more than you do. What's that supposed to mean? Are you mad that I moved across country? What? No, no, no. Look, 
Let's look on the bright side. Our kids are getting some sweet hangout time. My God, how lucky are those guys that they have us for parents instead of that narcissist? They have no idea. No idea. No idea, right? Oh, my God. Right? You know what else? I think Sabrina took Evan to a bar. A bar? In the middle of the day? Well, you know, I guess Sabrina can do that. What's that supposed to mean? You think Sabrina's like a loser? What? No. No, 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 no. No, no. No. Anyway, it's just a shame. It's a shame. God, if Dad weren't so selfish, you know, he could have a real relationship with these kids. You know what's It's his loss. He's missing all the fun. Yeah. And we go to Boston Tavern. Lenny, Evan, and Sabrina down shots of whiskey and cheer. Evan and Sabrina cringe from the strength. Oh, oh God. Oh, my God. Joseph Gordon-Levitt! Hey, it's fun to cut loose with you kids, huh? Your parents never did this with me. I guess functioning alcoholism skips a generation. Totes. Uh, <laughs> hey, Grandpa, while we're bonding, if you ever want to get rid of those socks tickets to your, you know, you give them to your best granddaughter, she, she wouldn't be mad. You're my shining light of my life. You're a beautiful tomboy. But nobody gets those tickets, huh? I'm sorry about the funeral thing. I... I just want to see everyone, you know? The waitress in her 20s, nerdy cool, exactly Evan's type in a way he didn't fully understand until this moment <laughs> approaches. You guys doing okay? <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was just actually about to ask you the same thing, dum-dum. You get, you, get, you get out of my head unless you want lice, you turkey sandwich. <laughs> she, she looks at him confused. Lenny hands her a 20. We're fine, dear. Thank you. Evan, what the hell was that? <laughs> I freaked out. I don't know. I freaked out. She's amazing. She's amazing. She's like, she's like a, a young Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway is still young. Evan, how do you think she would feel if she heard you say that? <laughs> Anne Hathaway, not the waitress. Oh, she stares after the waitress. She is, she is like a young Anne Hathaway. You know, like... The Princess Diaries one. That was my earliest memory of being gay, that movie. Hector Olizondo, I remember thinking, that is not for me. <laughs> Lenny leans closer to Evan. You have a confidence problem. Are you a virgin? What? What? No. No, I lost my, vir I lost my virginity years, uh, a year ago. <laughs> of course, you're a Murphy. We're outstanding with women. Yeah, truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're sex boys. Nah, to the bone, That's baby. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's your pippy. What? Your pecker. How is it? Uh, it's um, it's fine. I, it's fine, I guess. I know. Right? Let me see it. <laughs> this is my favorite day. <laughs> Grandpa, I let me. See it. I'm not. I, there's no way I'm going to Stop. show you. And my we go to the bathroom. Evan, embarrassed, has his pants dropped. Lenny inspects. Look at that. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> A guy enters the bathroom. Hey, Lenny man. turns to him. Look at my grandson's JoJo. <laughs> Look at that. The guy spins around and exits. We're back at the bar. Evan looks a little shaken. You got a fantastic tube. <laughs> you should have... Well, you do. You should have plenty of confidence. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
My mom thinks it's because I didn't get teeth until I was four. Ah, that's it. It's your mom. She does everything for you. I know. I mean, she's the one who thought I'd be a good therapist, and that's why I'm in grad school, or was. I dropped out, and I haven't been able to tell her. I, just, I, I had a panic attack during a practice therapy th session. It was a disaster. And we go to flashback, a university classroom. Evan hyperventilates. Another student looks on, worried. I thought I was supposed to be playing the patient. And we come back to the scene. <laughs> All right, this is my fault. I was never around as a dad. So your mom was too around. It's a psych. That's what we were saying. You're yelling. Sorry. <laughs> this is why we have to get everyone together. Evan, get your mom to come here so we can all sit down as a family. She'll listen to you. I want to fix this mess I've made. Grandpa, yes, you're being so open and vulnerable, and I, it's, it's beautiful. I don't love you saying that to okay. me. Okay, but I do not know if I'm ready to say what I need to say to her. All right, I'll get you ready. If there's one thing I know, it's confidence. Spend the day with me, and I'll rebuild you from the ground up. And music comes up on a montage. We hear Lenny's voiceover over the following. We're in an old-school fancy men's store. Evan tries on fancy new shoes. First things first. Shoes. A man's shoes are his foundation. And we cut to Evan in a silly but clearly expensive men's chapeau. And his hat is his roof. With a good foundation and a good roof, anything's possible. Sabrina prances by in a giant hat. Lenny shakes his head. Goddamn goofball. And we cut to the exterior of the street. Evan stands nervously watching traffic go by. Your generation's got it too easy with your apps and your Ubers. I wanna... I want you all to, to hail a cab the old-fashioned way. Push people out of the fucking way and get that idiot to stop. Evan cautiously steps into traffic. A car honks and swerves. Evan winces but keeps going. A cab stops, triumph, but it's immediately undercut by Sabrina, pushing him to the ground and taking the cab. Lenny shakes his head, quit horsing around. And we're in Murphy's Beds, the storefront. Lenny stands with Evan and Sabrina in one of his Murphy's Beds locations. It's a cheesy furniture store. A huge mural of Lenny sleeping in a bed is prominent on one wall. The sales floor, where confidence is born. You know this is the first ever Murphy Beds location? Where are all the customers? I don't know, probably one of my other 10 stores. People said I overextended myself, but I say, you've gotta be bold. Evan takes this in. Sabrina is preoccupied with the ridiculous Lenny mural, taking selfies next to it framed so it looks like she's in bed with Lenny. Lenny's had enough. Hey, Sally screwed around. All a big joke from the sidelines, huh? Evan's making real progress here. You could stand to do something with your life instead of just making fun all the time. Or do you like being a loser? She pulls back, surprised. Wow, that was very real. <laughs> she looks miffed, but clearly knows he's right. Just then a customer enters. Lenny nods to Evan. Evan centers himself and approaches, brimming with fostered confidence. Hey, hey, Sally, screw around. Uh, you ready to rebuild your life from the bed up? I, I can't do this. The customer looks confused. <laughs> yes, you can. You can do this. Just stop doing a bad impression of me. You know who does a good impression of me? Billy Crystal. He's a friend. Now get back out there and be you. <laughs> Evan nods and walks back over to the customer. Hi, hi. Uh, can I can I help you in any way? 
Ugh, I hate my bed and I need something new. I like can't even sleep. <laughs> oh man, I'm 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 sorry. I can relate. I I didn't sleep well for for years. What changed? Honestly, uh, Zoloft. <laughs> Lenny overhears this and recoils, but the customer laughs. Evan laughs, too. It's very disarming and lighthearted. Uh, but I, I, uh, I can't sell you that. Uh, but what I can sell you is the most comfortable bed you have ever slept on. We literally, we have our name on it, so you know we stand behind it. Wow, this is a family business? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Cool, huh? Lenny is clearly affected by this. Later... In Murphy's beds, Lenny punches Evan in the gut excitedly. Oh! <laughs> You're a natural, kid. I'm Murphy through and through. God, I feel like I'm 60. You're ready, kid. It's time to call your mom. Get her to come out. Yeah. And we'll all be together, huh? Evan okay. takes a deep breath and dials his phone. <clears throat> hey, Mom. Hey, uh, listen. Um, I've been thinking, and, and it'd mean a lot to me if you, if you come to Boston. Um, even just... Even just for the day, um, I've been spending time with the family, and, and we miss you. And we feel like there are things we just we need to say to each other in person. Um, when you think about it, Lenny gives him an encouraging nod. Yeah, I, I really need you to do this uh, for me. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Call me back. <clears throat> he hangs up. Lenny's incredulous. That was a voicemail. <laughs> and we go to Revolutionary Seafood. It's a Boston-y, revolutionary, war-themed seafood restaurant <laughs> with waiters in full costumes. Lenny, Evan, Mark, Sabrina, Regina, and Teddy are seated at a booth. Mark fills the silence. One if by land, two if by brie. <laughs> That's an interesting pun for a seafood restaurant. What a neat place. Great <laughs> choice, Sabrina. The waiters look like Hamilton. I, I like it, too. It's like if Red Lobster had a fancy older cousin. Ugh, you know this place is actually really bad, right? That's why I picked it. It's not fun unless everyone recognizes that it's bad. God, I can't even do that right. Gloria enters with her luggage and quickly gives out hugs. Hi, hello, hi, hi, I'm here, hi. <laughs> she hi. settles in next to Evan. Okay, <clears throat> flew across country to go to a Revolutionary War-themed brunch restaurant. All right, what's the deal? Well, uh, uh, Grandpa... And I are, are really excited that we're all here together. Lenny stands, oddly formal. Yes, we are. And I've always said family is everything. You've never once said that. I said it many times privately. <laughs> listen, I love you all very, very much. Ah, just listen to me. I love you all very, very much, even though I sometimes do crazy things. Evan smiles. This is off to a good start. Which is why when I get a good opportunity, I want my family to get a good opportunity. He reaches into a briefcase and passes around some paperwork. Evan's face falls. What the hell's going on? It's time for Murphy Beds to reach its full potential as a true family business. What the hell is this? A sales presentation? Uh, Grandpa, I thought you were, uh, we were trying to heal as a family. We will. We will. But this time it's this. But this is that. But this is time sensitive. We have an opportunity as a family to ensure the lasting health of my business which I want to be our business. Gloria speed reads the document. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And we, oh. And we take on the accrued outstanding debt, which is sizable. Look at that. You're looking for a bailout. No, 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 no. You're reading that wrong. You're not a lawyer. I am. Actually, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> Do you not know that? God. 
Could you just be honest with us for once in your life? Okay. I expanded the business too fast and now I'm in trouble. Well, not me personally. My assets are separate, but the business. This is insane. This is why you've been trying to get us all to get Mark. How did you let this happen? Me? Oh, yeah, right. Of course, this is my responsibility. Like, everything with this family is my responsibility. Go ahead, Gloria. Run off to California. Oh. I'll be here. Okay, okay. We're going to go before Teddy gets a negative view of seafood restaurants. Come on. You know, give she me a hurries break. out with Teddy. You know, give me a break, Mark. You like being the martyr. I had to go to California so I could raise Evan away from this mess. I have no regrets. He turned out great. Really? Because he dropped out of school. What? Dude. What? I... <laughs> oh, <this is> sorry. <laughs> Grandpa yelled at me, and I thought it would be uh, just like feel good to bring someone else down with me. <laughs> but now that I think about it, it didn't. Whoa, 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 whoa. You yelled at her? Somebody had to. She's wasting away. She is perfect. No, no, I'm not. God, Dad, please just yell at me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for trying to support you. Fine. You want to hear the truth? I am disappointed. Yeah, Dad. Go off, Dad. <laughs> you got to do something, okay, ma'am? Either apply to college or move out. He storms out. I'm out. <laughs> oh, boy. That turned on me. That, that turned on your girl. She slinks out. Gloria stands and takes Evan's hand. Evan, I don't know what happened to you this weekend, but we're getting out of here. If we hurry, we can catch the 5 o'clock flight. But, now. But I don't, now. Evan follows Gloria out, stopping next to Lenny. I trusted you. You know, I wanted to think you were better than everybody said, but you're not. Evan leaves Lenny alone, feeling awful. A beat then a way-too-upbeat waiter shows up. Hey, gang, start you off with a little olive oil for dipping? Huh? He, he <laughs> Any questions on the menu so far? He unholsters his musket and pours olive oil onto a plate. <laughs> Want to hear the specials? <laughs> and we end act two. It's act three. We're exterior of the streets of Boston. Evan drives Gloria's rental car. Gloria rides shotgun. How could you not tell me, E? I thought we told each other everything. Make a left up here. I, I was going to. Okay, I just, I, I wasn't I said, ready. I'm Ugh. taking the just, left. You know what? Get on Storo Drive. Do you know how that made me feel to find out about your life from my insane family blinker? Would you, did you use your blinker? Do you just want to drive? I'm too worked up. So you thought your grandfather was just like, Mr. Fun Time, Good Times, huh? Now you know. Now you know. Now you know. I wasn't just blowing smoke. Watch out. This guy's stopping. This I see guy's stopping. him. I see him. He's, he's really stopping. I see him. I'm like, putting on the brakes. I'm some kind of monster. I just, I know that you would be a really good therapist. I want you to give it another try. You'll give it another try. Watch out. This truck, this guy's crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> you are crazy. You're not listening to me. You're just ordering me around, all right? I'm a, I'm a grown man, all right? I didn't tell you what... I was, I was going on because I knew you'd react like this. You always react like this. You think you're so much better than Grandpa, but if you're not careful, you're, you're, gonna, be ex you're gonna be getting exactly what he got. Did that make sense? I'm so flustered. <laughs> but if you're not careful, 
You're going to get exactly what he got. A kid that can't stand you. It's one of those scenes on TV where you're like, the driver is just talking to the passenger and not looking where he's going, but nothing bad ever happens. Only this time, the driver crashes straight through the public garden and into the swan boat pond. <laughs> a beat, then, SFX police sirens. We're interior a jail holding cell later. Evan, dejected, sits in a grim cell with one other insane-looking man. Evan stretches silently. <clears throat> Shut up. Evan looks away, trying not to engage. A beat, then the cell door opens and Lenny walks in. So, you drove into a pond, huh? Good for you. You're like a Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see you. You said you wanted to heal the family, but you just wanted to save yourself. Heady stuff. We reveal the insane looking man has been listening intently. Evan turns away from Lenny. Just go, all right? I, I'll pay you back whatever the bail cost over, over many, many years. It didn't cost me anything. I, I pulled some strings with the captain. And we cut away to Fenway Park. A police captain in full uniform sits in amazing seats along the first base side, having the goddamn time of his life. Red Sox! <laughs> and we go back to the scene. You, ne you never give away those tickets. God, you... You are so frustrating. You can be a good person, you just... You choose not to be. Lenny takes a deep breath and looks Evan in the eyes. Look, guys, back in my day, we had to scrap or scrape to, to make something of ourselves. Some, sometimes you just had to sit on a guy's ass and say, no, jerk, my ass, not your ass. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Well, I, I, I have no idea. <coughs> I'm saying, I had to be tough so I could make money for my family, but, but at a certain point, it, it became about me. I got selfish, and I pushed everyone away, and, and even though being around you now for, and Sabrina is, is the best I've felt since your mom and, and uncle were kids, and old habits, I guess, sorry. I'm really shitty at apologies. Um, not where I'm sitting from, you old sweet tooth. <laughs> Evan hugs Lenny, who doesn't know what to do with his hands. Oh, my God. We reveal Mark watching from just outside the cell. Gloria, Sabrina, Regina, and Teddy are there, too. I didn't think I had any tears left after watching that new season of Queer Eye, but I was wrong. <laughs> What's everyone doing here? We saw your accident on the local news. Lots of cell phone and security footage on that one, bud. The Ruger's bagels across the common have the best angle. Just saying. And it, it, everyone's, everyone's together and, and talking? Yeah. I think yelling may have actually been good for us. Jail smells like pee. Totally, bud. I needed a push. And I've decided, big jail an announcement, uh, if I could get everyone's... Uh, I'm applying to the Robin Williams Community College. Mark hugs Sabrina overjoyed. <laughs> Lenny notices Evan and Gloria looking away from each other. He walks over to Gloria. Hello? Look, I was a terrible parent. But you're not. 
Don't let my mistakes teach you to hold on too tight. You can trust Evan. He's a good boy. Because he came from a good tummy. <laughs> Evan immediately regrets his choice of words. Gloria hugs him. Honey, I do. I really do trust you. No matter what you want to do. Wait, I mean, it's funny. I, I, I actually kind of loved working at Grandpa's store. I, I don't know. I think I have s sort of a knack for, for it, maybe. I mean, Grandpa, what if, what if you and I make a, a real family business? That would have been great, kid, but it's too late. Hmm? When you guys didn't sign, I decided to sell the business. Murphy's Beds no longer belongs to me. I think the Chinese have it. But that may be just a low-level racism on my part. <laughs> but you still own the first building, right? The original location? Mm, he does. <laughs> well, then. Because I am a lawyer, I have an idea. And we go to Murphy's Beds a little later. We push through the storefront and inside where the entire family, including Regina and Teddy, plus Reno and Gigi, are assembled to watch a painter scrape out and move an apostrophe, turning it from Murphy's Beds to Murphy's Beds. <laughs> it takes under three seconds. Applause breaks out. <laughs> Ooh, I got chills. <laughs> Murphy's beds, but Murphy's beds is your new store? No, no, no. It's our new store. Legally, I should remind you that the new owners of Murphy's beds will likely sue you, <laughs> but I'm confident you'll win. Back to one location, just like when we started. Evan and Sabrina share a look. Gloria stands next to Evan. You know I was uh, conceived in this store. I hate that I know that. And I hate that you now know it too. Yeah. Well, you know, it's fun. We're telling each other things, yeah. though. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe you're moving here. I did everything I could to keep you out of this garbage town. I'm proud of you. Thanks, Mom. Not to nudge, because I trust you. But where are you going to live? Yeah, I hadn't thought about it. Oh, Jesus. Evan! I did do too much for you. He can live with me. They all look at Lenny. Really, Grandpa? Yeah, well, I, I have an extra room because my wife just died. <laughs> all right, seriously. I need everyone to stick with that story. There's a bit of insurance situation <laughs> I'm trying to work out. Off of the family's growing concern, we end Act 3. And we're in the tag. We're interior Lenny's apartment in the living room. Evan FaceTimes with Gloria. We intercut with her in a tiny room. Where are you? You look like you're in a closet. I am. Daddy's sleeping. I don't want to wake him. He was up late watching the new Magnum P.I. <laughs> Sabrina exits Evan's room with a bong and crosses to Lenny. Uh, Grandpa, I found this in your office when I was helping Evan unpack. It's a water bong for smoking grass. <laughs> Sabrina's oh. eyes go wide with pure joy. Yay. So, Mom, uh, was, the, was the flight good? Oh, yes. You know, turbulence and such. It took off in Boston, landed in California. All the plane things happened. 
you're uh, you're acting weird. Are you are you sure you're okay with me moving across the country? Yes, yes, yes. I'm thrilled, and it's gonna be good for me to learn to to let you go. You know, I gotta I got goodbye, honey. I you know I love you. They hang up. We stay on Gloria, who exits the closet and into Mark's living room. So, um, what's the long-term plan here? You think I'm going to leave my baby alone in this garbage city with our deranged alcoholic father? You're out of your goddamn mind, Mark. And that's the end of show. Hey, I'm Janet Varney. And like many of you, some more recent than others, I used to be a teenager. In fact, just about all of my friends were too, including wonderful women like Alison Brie. I'm dead center on the balance beam. And this is like a big gym. All the ki kids' parents are there watching. I have to stop. Like, you know, when you have to pee so bad and you can't even move. And then I just go. I just pee oh, right in the middle no. of the high balance beam. <laughs> so join me every week on the JV Club podcast where I speak with complicated, funny, messy humans as we reminisce about our adolescences and how they led us to becoming who we are. Find it every Thursday on Maximum Fun. I'm here with Matt Fussfeld and Alex Cuthbertson. Matt, why don't you, so we can get the voices, Matt. Yes, hello, thank you for having uh, us. And Alex. Hi, how are you? Thanks for being here. This is our uh, first podcast, Matt. Can you I believe know. guys like is us? Can you really? Believe? You look at guys like us, like, these guys are on every They're podcast. They're on every goddamn podcast in town. They're going pod to pod, these guys. No, this nope. is our... No, nope. wow, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Have, happy uh, to be here. Your virgin podcasting. Um, and it's cool too because you, you know you guys. I only met through doing this, yeah. which is uh, which is always nice when when that happens. And then you and I have now since discovered that we're neighbors. We're neighbors. Now we, we see, see each, each other, other all the time, walking dogs. Yeah, the whole thing. Uh, well, I like to start these by telling you my favorite joke oh. of the pilot. Oh. Um, oh my god! I hope it's mine. <laughs> it was tough. It was it was tough, but I think it was one that I've, I like, sort of thought about it a few times even since the podcast, but it was that line of Evans when he's awkwardly talking to the waitress and uh, he says, get out of my head unless you want lice, you turkey sandwich. <laughs> just keep, every time I think about that line, in the, in the realm of like awkward flirting lines, it's just a classic one to me. I love that. That's our wheelhouse. Yeah. yeah, yeah just not knowing how to talk to people. And, and I would also just say some of the best character descriptions in any pilot I've read. Like you guys are masterful some of those i mean some of my favorite jokes really are in this you know you can see him being best friends with a dog that doesn't belong to him is a fantastic character description ironic fuller house tattoo never exercises but is always an exercise because these are all it's almost like we knew it would never be on tv because the only time you really read that is either like you know reading the script yeah, or you know classic trick uh, where you're like, this script might not be that funny, but I'm having a good time reading yes. the stage directions. But, but those are Keep but them turning. Those are hard to do. I find a few people like do them well because everyone always wants to just sort of say the same things about like she's tomboyish and she doesn't know how pretty she is and you know these things you see over and over again. But these were really very evocative and specific. Uh, that's thank, what a nice compliment thank you I do think it's one of the things that's nice about writing with a partner and especially a partner who's a good friend because we've been doing this for so long and I think there's a big part of this who just likes to make each other laugh and you know and I, I don't know have actually have fun with it like write yeah. a script that's not just 
a job, like write a script that we're enjoying doing. So, I and think, I think yeah, we've been friends for so long. We're college friends, so we have like such a uh, a collective pool of characters that yeah. in common that we can be like, oh, that guy that we used to know, or like right. That's always a great. There's yeah. a specific person, a frame of reference yes. that when you say it, you're like, oh yeah, now I totally get that character. Everybody's a real person or a composite of right. real people. That was what was so surprising about this one. We know each other super well, but when we were developing this, we. Just kind of finding out or realizing that each of our grandfathers was this sort of larger-than-life character. You know, we based... My grandfather's name was Lenny, but this is completely like an amalgam... Yeah, an amalgam. Yeah, an amalgam. Of both of our... Right Alex's word. grandfather... Uh, we just like realized that we name? had these two Ted. Ted. We, it was just Ted Flum and, and Lenny, Lenny Zoroff. Yeah. Because these two like <laughs> shitty, really <laughs> shitty guys. Like bad guys who were bad parents. Ah, my grandpa's bad... a good guy. I'm okay. feeling well, like very. No, yeah. well, he's. They're both dead, Matt. Uh, I know. No, we're respecting our families. Our families, Matt. They were tough guys. They were were different generation guys. They were selfish. And they were controversial, I think was the main thing, is that the family had, I think, a lot of problems. Both of our families had problems with these men that then we tried to sort of bridge over by forming a relationship with them ourselves. So it was a little bit of that theme of just because your parents don't like their parents doesn't mean you can't have a relationship with them. And I think that was... The driving idea. The joke in like our pitch when we initially pitched this to the studio was just like, and the more we got to talking about our grandfathers and how similar the, they were, we started to put it together and we realized we're cousins. We're related. We had the same grandfather. Killed every time. In the pitch, <laughs> oh, as pitch it just jokes. did right here. Yeah. <laughs> pitch jokes, much like uh, stage direction jokes. The key to any successful pilot. Well, it's like well, you, you have to have them. You yeah. gotta have to, them to get to the pilot. Said you gotta have those pitch jokes. And you have to have your sort of sometimes made up well, this is why this is personal to me right. story but it like in this case in this case it was actually it was, was actually real i mean even real. to the extent so we really you guys really did try and forge relationships with these grandfathers oh yeah were, you really did oh okay. yeah and in ways that i think both of us have kind of tried to examine like where we may i don't know a little bit of a hero thing like oh well you know our family is sort of broken but we can get it <laughs> right and you know sort of tame these these men and, yeah. you know form a relationship that then brings everybody back in so i think there's a little bit of like self-congratulation to for uh, sure there's always a self-congratulation to reaching out to these guys i mean for me uh after college uh i moved out here after a stint in colorado my grandfather had actually moved out here from the east coast in like the late 70s or something after one of his divorces and he was this big character and like he had the chance to move his fabric sales uh territory out west and he relocated out here and slowly, like, uh, some of my other family uh, followed him. But by the time I got here in my early 20s to break into the TV business, he was this old man living in Brentwood, and he had nothing going on, and he was so excited to for, like, fresh meat because he had kind of uh, worn out his welcome with a lot of the rest of the family. So immediately he was like, you want to go to Vegas? So, like, the first thing I did when I was, like, 23 when I moved out here, like, we drove in his car to Vegas, and it, he had, like, all of these, like, Scams. He was always constantly working with little scams, but like he had a he had like a back brace that he just put on like immediately, like as and I was like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Watch!" And he just like we would stop at like Denny's, and he would just like get to the front of the line to order a coffee. Denny's in like Barstow, and then we went to the Paris Hotel, and it was like he just like skipped ahead to check in, and he's like he would play the old man like sympathy card. He was just like he was. He was uh, kind of a genius. And did he know, did he have the hookup at all the casinos? I mean, was he known at these places? Yeah, I mean, 
it was always that like thing. Denny's level hookup. Right. Yeah. Not no, a, I mean, he yeah. was like, he was old school and there was a lot of like, where is, uh, is Roberto around anymore? And it was like, no, this was like a whole different generation. I saw that a lot. Um, his whole thing was he was like a regular at the Palm in West Hollywood, which is moved now. But, right. And his picture was up but he there. He had a picture. Really, yeah. Wow. Lenny's Orf up there. He had a caricature sure, on the wall. Um, yeah. 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 It was big. So then he's a real... I mean, I, mean, I felt proud of it just yeah. by knowing yeah, a guy whose grandfather le- had a caricature That's on the pretty palm. legit. Yeah. That's just for being like a regular customer. Yeah. <laughs> not, like he was no way in show business. <laughs> to, be, to get him on that wall as a non-famous person. Yeah, it is, takes a lot. Yeah. And has to have been liked, you know? I mean, he has to have been a charismatic... Or regarded. charismatic. Yeah, people are aware of him. But he would also, you know, his drink was VO, Canadian whiskey with a little bit of water and uh it was just the thing you'd like you pull up to the valet at the at the palm and like all of the uh valet uh drivers were like they saw him coming and they just would imitate be like all right all right like he, this whole thing was like all right all right and they'd call back and be, all right all right and uh we, i love old men barking at people yeah <laughs> but they great. loved him and like he'd come in and like the bartender would have his vo in like a wine glass right away and he was treated really well there, but again, it was like that thing where he was like, where's Reno? Where's Gigi? Like, all these guys that had either died or were gone, and it was like a little bit of like, uh, he's not like as in favor there, and yeah, he would get, he'd have a little too much to drink, and eventually he got banned from there, and eventually they took down his, uh, they took down his caricature. And it so I would paint have to, it over. They just replaced him with someone else? There was a minute where they took it, it was in like a good spot, and then they moved it like, over by like there's a the, whole yeah there's yeah, a progression of gone. things that happened to you and i tried to get it when they were when they were tearing that palm down they said if you want to come in and try and get like they put out like a thing if, if you know someone with a caricature in there we can try and like rescue it for you we haven't filed i wasn't able to get it so how long would see alive while you were out here how much time did you spend out here hanging out with him i probably got about 10 years with him yeah, and yeah and it was like I have an aunt who lives in Sherman Oaks and an uncle who lives in Brentwood and another uncle. My he had five kids and uh, and my mom was back east and it, it was it was a little bit like this story where like my uncle hadn't been talking to him and all of a sudden it was like oh why don't you come uh, get dinner with us and it, I did sort of help bring some kind of you know just like shake things up a little bit to get the family talking again yeah and so. This guy loomed pretty large in your life for a while, but you guys, it sounds like you and Alex had not talked about him a lot in terms of thinking of him as a character until recently. Yeah, it's interesting. We, we were, I, I was really aware of Lenny. I don't know how aware of Ted, Matt was. A little was. Just bit. because Lenny was in L.A. and I, you know, I, I, I was just sort of aware of Matt's family out here, so we talked about it. But I think we were pretty new to the idea of just developing shows that were based on our people. Yeah, we'd re- always develop shows that are about our friendship, just because I think writing in a team, right. it's kind of hard to find that voice that really sounds like you as a unit rather than just you as an individual. Right. So we accomplished that by writing several pilots that were really about two friends. So we had done a lot of that, and I think we kind of. Not necessarily exhausted that, because I like to believe, Matt, that there's just an endless number of yeah, those scripts out sure. there. But um, we hadn't done one that was sort of trying to take a more just individual sort of you know perspective on a family show. And then we realized that we didn't actually have to sort of compromise one of our perspectives on that or another. We actually had this weirdly shared experience with our two grandfathers and had done kind of the same thing, that both of us had sort of reached out to them and, and tried to form this relationship. So it all kind of... 
started from there. The script actually started as more of an Evan show. It was right. Evan being kind of the character that we put ourselves into. Right. And then we realized that there was maybe a chance for the show to honestly just kind of stick out more and be a little more special by having it be... That was an ABC an note. ABC they were note. like, what if you told it from the perspective of the grandfather? Good note. Yeah, Put that really in the good, good note, note yeah. file. Yeah. It actually was a really helpful note. It was sort of like not how we'd been thinking about it, but the more we made it a show about Lenny, I think the funnier it got and just kind of the weirder and more interesting it got. Right. I mean, it's, Evan still gets his due. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. you know, he's such a fleshed out character and he has an arc and you really learn a lot about him. I mean, it's... It's not like the show is truly from Lenny's perspective. perspective right. Because you're seeing right. scenes that he's not in. It's just. Well, that's because we did kind of a lazy rewrite him. on making it uh, from his perspective. Right. That's a we real kind of peek behind yeah. the curtain. We just yeah. didn't, you know. It should be. We're not great at this. Yeah. <laughs> but we do but what just we that can. In, but introducing it, with, I mean, it's a great cold open, too. Just, you know, that song and then just the big reveal, like that it's his wife's the funeral, funeral thing. And, and the funeral thing actually came at that time I had. Uh, we gone through a thing that was sort of like with my grandfather. My grandfather left. This is my mom's dad. Actually, it's both of our mom's dads. Um, but our my my mom's dad left his wife, my mom's mom, for a much younger woman. Um, but then they weirdly stayed together forever for the rest of their lives. But when that my grandfather woman. with the second woman. Yeah. So when my grandfather was ninety and his much younger wife was now seventy, um, she got very sick, and this woman was like. Everyone hated her. She was her name was Joanna, and she was not the most popular person in our family. But she got sick, and she died, and no one wanted to go to the funeral. But I went. So this is sort of the Evan move of like, why are you going? What are you trying to prove? I'm a good boy. I'm going to go, and I'm going to prove that our family can get past some of this shit. So I went, and I was there with my grandfather, and really was just like his doorman there. And the women who took care of her at the end. And, like, there's just fucking nobody there. But while this, while her body was being lowered into the ground, I got a message that my grandmother, Ted's first first wife, wife. died that day. As we're lowering his second wife's body into the ground. This is all in Philadelphia. So the entire family then flies out for her funeral. My grandfather gets super fucking pissed. And he had written this really elaborate, long eulogy. A eulogy as if it's being delivered to a stadium of 45,000 people. And there's seven people, including his doorman there. He had written that for his, for his you know, uh, his dead wife, wife, for the second wife. When he found out that the rest of the family came out for uh, his first wife's funeral, he got mad, went to that funeral, and read the second wife's uh, <laughs> eulogy. So wow. the scene where he proposes to Joanna at the funeral <laughs> is, is, is very much like based that. on a real thing and I've just never been in a more uncomfortable room That's in my entire life. And I enjoy the laziness of not even changing Joanna's no, name. No, Joanna's yeah, Joanna. Uh, Joanna's yeah. an evocative yeah. name, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you know when you hear Joanna what that person looks like. Um, all right, let's back up a bit just to get your origin story. I'm sure you've told this many, many Never times. Never on first podcast. Yeah, Every, first podcast. Not on a podcast. Oh, yeah. General meeting. Just general meeting. Yeah, yeah. All right, so, so where do you guys, where do you, you guys said you met in college? We, we met, met in college. At Boston University. The pride of the Charles yeah. River. <laughs> it's oh. fun to be able to say, well, I went to school in Boston and not be like you're doing a cute thing. Yeah. We're like, yeah. I just don't want to say Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just went to BU. And by the way, I barely got into BU. Same. There's a program, no, there's a program though at BU specifically uh, for people who barely get in. You were coming from called where? Called of general studies. I grew up in Berkeley, California. Okay, Alex grew up in Berkeley. Matt, you grew up in Woodstock, New York. Okay, all right. Neighboring, so, hit, yeah, hippie town. 
mountains on either yeah. across, across yeah. a coastal, yeah. bi-coastal hippie town. Yeah. And we meet at BU, and we really met just because we were in a like a room. Well, actually, my I'm a year older than Alex, yeah. and senior year of college, my apartment, my off-campus apartment burned down, and they uh, the school graciously moved me back into the dorms for like the last couple months and I moved in right next to Alex and we, and we knew each other we kind of knew each other but then we really started hanging out and then we just got stoned and did improv games basically <laughs> it was sort of like the nerdy version of getting stoned yeah. where we basically just started doing characters together and it was um, part of this this sketch comedy group that was terrible called the Incontinentals. See, they're gonna listen okay. to this, and that's hurtful. No, it was so... just no. I know. Now you're right. It was great, but it's true. You can't being proud of it would be no. That far would be like, more we did some really great stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the spontaneous combustion isn't that yes. a big BU improv group? Yeah, but yeah, we, we were, were off, we yeah. were off campus. So. Yeah. Okay. okay, yeah, we didn't make that. Okay. See, well, no, I think that we. I like to believe that we chose to be. You know, I was just a fill in for another guy who got fired. Well, the, the group was not good, but what was fun about I had it a is car. that. Be, because we weren't the on camp, we weren't the official Got sketch it. group. We would perform at comedy clubs instead of like functions. Right. So dining we're at halls yeah, instead of dining halls, we were at like you know the comedy studio and the comedy connection. All these places that kind of were amazing. I mean, not the nights we we were there on the nights for whoever, but you know, otherwise these are places that were coming up with you know. And you're doing improv games, not long form. No, no, no. Games. This, were, this and, is just the writing, two of us. Were you writing sketches too for that group? Yeah, we were yeah. writing sketches for it, and so we. I, I, Matt was always the funniest guy that I knew, and I think oh. we just. Um, I don't know. We just like loved just play. It was like play. Like we just loved sort of playing together. Right. And then after college, Matt, Matt, who's a year older, I'm sorry to harp on that, but it's no, true. No, it's fine. Um, you, Matt, moved to LA by way of Boulder, Colorado, for Spent a year. Spent a year in Boulder, Colorado, and then and then came out. Here and I got, I thought I got to Harvard. I got a job as the night PA on the the Reba McIntyre sitcom uh, yeah. Reba. Okay. On the WB. That's a pretty cool first job. Not yeah, a job that really like, exists anymore. The night PA. Yeah, they email them out now, but back then yeah, it was like you had to deliver scripts to twenty every, scripts, five hundred miles a week, and uh, in my in my old pre pre uh, iPhone i iPod, Thomas guy like, listening to Loveline. Yeah. If Doctor Drew's <laughs> listening and. I was a big fan of that. He got you through a lot. He got me through a lot. Uh, and then, yeah, Alex moved out uh, a couple years behind me. Well, I moved after college, moved to New York, and was doing kind of like PAing and all that stuff in New York. And but what kind of things? Reality shows and talk okay. shows. And I, my first job was as a like a page for David Letterman, which I, for me was the That's, coolest thing yeah. possible. Just to be in that studio every day was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Alex has like um, the most old-fashioned, like what your grandfather would right. probably <laughs> tell you to break into show business. He went down to the Ed Sullivan Theater with like, a, a stack, stack with, no, with a blazer on with resumes. And, you know, from all the whatever stuff, I had, like, you know, interned at the, you know, the NBC affiliate in San Francisco, and I'd done, you know, whatever, all the little jobs that I had amassed, I put onto a resume, and I went to the Ed Sullivan Theater, and I, like, handed it out, and they happened to have an opening for a page, which is probably not a hard job to get, but, I mean, it's I... It's not easy. But it's not as I don't know, but I think I was there at the right place at the right time, and my dumb thing worked out, and I got to stand in that theater every day, which is just the coolest. And then I worked for, you know... America's Next Top Model and MTV's Making the Band and all these reality shows and stuff that were uh, shooting as a PA as a PA and then I was working my way up as a field coordinator that kind of thing but it was going to go nowhere so I moved to LA and Matt had luckily been doing the actual sort of applicable groundwork 
of uh, being, you know, in kind of the actual the I was actual probably, like, I was a writer's assistant at that point. I got, I got on Reba or on another. No, that was a tough one to work up. I <laughs> jumped ship from Reba and I became the assistant to the showrunners uh, and co-creators of American Dad, Mike okay. Barker and White, Matt Weitzman, and they were like the greatest guys, great bosses, mentors, and that was like the first time I ever kind of saw a real partnership work where I was like, oh, that could that could be a mm. a good deal, and I then tried writing with like my roommate at the time and I was like oh that's not great and like tried writing with a couple people and I was like yeah it's fine and then Alex just happened to move out then and I was like oh yeah here we go and I was like you want to write a spec together? It was amazing I mean it was amazing because I worked I moved out here and got a job as an assistant at ABC and had had no idea what I was doing and hated it almost immediately. What was your was your goal to write or did you just want to be in show business in some capacity? It was sort of this weird mix where I knew it was to write and I'd written always written scripts and I knew that's what I wanted to do but I didn't know how to either say it or make it happen I don't know so I just wanted I was like I'm so stupid that I was just happy being in the orbit <laughs> right. of show business. It was exciting. I'm the kind of guy who's like, I see the trucks when they're parked on set. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> look at that. But Matt was really doing it. So when I abruptly quit my assistant job and had no plan and was working at Pete's Coffee in Santa Monica and skateboarding there like I was 14 and I had no plan, Matt was like, let's try to write together. And we did. And, and what was, was that first spec? Foolishly, I mean, it was what a different time where I was yeah. like, let me, I mean, this is a similar story to me and my old partner. Yeah, was like, we wrote a Simpsons spec, right? Yeah. Yeah. You write a spec your... of an existing show. Yeah. We yeah. wrote a My Name Is Earl, we, and, yeah. and we we're you know we were writing it, and this is no disrespect to the show, but I don't think it was our favorite show. I think we wrote what we thought people might want to read. Yeah, and that was kind of our first lesson of like, don't. Our friend Steve Healy was like, "Do you guys like My Name Is Earl?" <laughs> I mean, we know it's a good show. It's just like he's like, "Why don't you write something that you like?" And then so I think we wrote a third. We wrote a third rock because right we that. at that at the time I think was that was our favorite both of yeah. our favorite shows. So we actually wrote a thing that we loved, and it was far easier. Sure. <laughs> oh my yeah. god, it was much more fun. Yeah. and it was actually a spec that and we because at that time that's what you had you would you know use a spec. Yeah. We used that script for a couple of years of um, getting again out of like jobs. sheer laziness of not wanting to. Like, all right, we got that. Oh, writing yeah. is terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you don't write anymore. No. Yeah. If you, you have, have it to, and it's working, it's good. Yeah. Until your agent saying, Fine. you know, we need more, that's the one you use. Right. Yeah. But what was based on that script, our uh, Matt's bosses at American Dad, who then became later became my bosses as well, they let us try to write a freelance episode of American Dad. Okay. So we did. I think we had a couple false starts. We wrote one. It wasn't good. But then they said there were some things about it that were good. They led us in the right direction. We wrote another that they actually bought. And then we wrote another freelance the following year. So over the next year, we were doing a couple of freelance episodes on American Dad while Matt was still working there as a writer's assistant. And then we got staffed the following year. Okay. And did you get an agent once you got staffed? Once we got staffed. Once you got staffed. The classic thing of how are yeah. you, what's well, supposed to happen here? money coming yeah. in. Right. Like, sure, yeah. we'll represent yeah. you now. We don't have to do anything. There was like a very awkward, I don't think we understood how that whole hip pocketing thing worked where we were like, we made like a... We went to our agent who's temporary, who's not our agent right now. That's, right. Not, that's a whole other we, thing. Listen, yeah, we don't yeah. have agents, okay? Yeah, yeah. But he had like a birthday party and we were like, hey, you know what? You're hired. And he was like, uh, yeah, you know, let's just see I, what That's such an happened. embarrassing story that I'd forgotten that we went to his birthday so party in person to hire him yeah. because we thought yeah. he'd be excited. Yeah. And he didn't. 
because you were getting that split staff oh, writer God. money. We on, were, yeah. Not only did he not care, I don't think he knew what we were talking about. It was so it embarrassing. Was but that's still your yeah. Well, he's turned out to former and yeah, former he, and he was future. So, yeah, because he was his, we his do name. Love he's him. still a dear friend, Blake Fronston. Sure. Uh, and he so he had been Aaron Kaplan's assistant, uh, and Aaron Kaplan represented Barker and Weitzman. So we were like assistants together, and we got promoted right around the same time. And he's I think great. we were he's some of his first great, clients. Great. Yeah. So okay. we have always had a kind of a, a friendship. So you got so then you you got the staff job and you stayed how long at American? We like four seasons, four and a half seasons, something four like that. Four seasons, yeah. Yeah. So we kind of Just like paradise. a college amount of time. And Such a good like any working on an animated show. First of all, just I mean, without the the concerns of the same concerns of production. You know, there's concerns obviously, but like not the deadlines aren't the same, and just really being able to focus on on the script and the jokes, and it, it just was a great pace. It was to be a, kind at. of an amazing place to learn because the show was up and running. We weren't developing the show; yeah, the show right. was there, and it was season working. four. It was clear what the voices were, what you had to write to. The voices were there. So many good writers like above us to learn from. And huge staff. I think when we were staffed there, there were about twenty yeah. people in that room. So it was definitely an interesting. I mean, I think it's different now, but I think when we were staff writers, there was definitely that sense, and not because of any bullying, but you know, when you speak and when you don't. And I think there was it was good. For us to be in a room where we were listening even as writer's assistant that lesson i you just look at younger writers as they come through and they're like there's this unspoken sort of like yeah thing where you're like just kind of see what the cues are first yeah. choose your moments very carefully yeah, yeah. And exactly. is your point that you're seeing people now choosing their moments less carefully well i think if you don't have that writer's assistant experience where you're forced to sit in there and just watch for yeah. Then it's not your fault. You come in there like I don't know. This seems like uh, you don't. You're no one is there to. There's no official rules, and there's no. There's no one to teach it. It's to such you. a weird environment, isn't it? The writers' room because it's like there's a lot of unwritten rules, but there's this kind of casual vibe. Right. That, it, it has the feel of like we're all equals here, and right, everyone. Yeah. And then at the same time, there is a hierarchy, but the hierarchy is only in place because often you do need to learn. Like, you're, yeah. you're not coming in as a staff writer able to contribute at the same level as the more experienced no, writer. You know so it's not like about. you can't talk because you're a staff writer. It's just like you still have things to learn. Yeah, um, it has nothing to do with the content or the ideas. Like, all voices should be heard in that respect, but it's like the hierarchy is about just keeping the, keeping the trains running on time. There's right. so much going down that has to keep moving that, yeah. I think American Dad, for me, especially not having been in the room as much as Matt had been, that was the big lesson was just like push uphill. You know, don't pitch outside of what we're talking about unless it's absolutely we're desperate and you need an outside, you know, idea, but know when to look for that. But otherwise, how to support people's ideas and keep things going as they're going. Right. Were there mistakes that you feel like you remember making early on, like sort of not following those rules? Or do you feel like you kind of sussed out the situation and pitched appropriately. I For me, it was like pitching, if you pitch a joke that gets nothing, just like shaking that off and realizing right. that no one else is thinking about it as much as you yeah. are. You know, like going into my head where I would just sort of like, you know, just go into a panic, a white hot panic after pitching something that didn't And, and what was your, because there's two reactions that people have one is they don't speak for the next month. Right. And the other one is <laughs> a way they, they, they just try and, you know, it's just like being in Vegas and like, I'm just going to chase that money yeah, and I'm going to yeah. pitch and pitch and pitch. 
Were you more the like it shut you down? I was definitely the former at first, and then it was a little bit of just like how much do I need to say in order to just justify my existence in this room? And then if I say one thing that's good, oh shit, thank God I can I can be quiet. And for a staff writer, often it was just like if you get one thing in a week, you're just like great, you're doing great, you're not being annoying. I'm a Uh contributor, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. I think um, Kenny Schwartz was is a friend of ours, and he was around back then. He was always kind of like. You know, big brotherly, like uh, needling us on on mis- if we were making mistakes, and he was just like one of the things he'd said was like, "You don't need to pitch something twice. Like if it doesn't get a reaction, like yeah. they heard it, it's, it's yeah, bombing. Right. Everyone yeah. heard it. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. also just like write down a joke on your, the back of your script, like or on a sheet of paper before you say it. If you don't have it, like." Make sure you have what you want to say before you say it. Right. I do feel like that's where the hierarchy comes in a little bit. Like a, a higher level writer can pitch a more unformed thought. Yes. Whereas a staff writer or, or certainly the writer's assistant, you you can't really, don't pitch me something that's like kind of something like this. No, you're not, you're, you can't do that I yet. I think that's such a good point. Because a higher level writer, you, your unformed thought actually is inherently more formed because there's context for it. You know, right. well, okay, a little thing like this could lead to that and that, or we did something like this before, but if you don't have a, the context for that, you're just pitching something that's unusable. Yeah, and, and then the showrunner has to try and shake it off or respond to it in some way, right. just taking up time where it's not, you know, often someone's more experienced, you're breaking stories. It's often, it's an unformed thought, but it's getting us, it's laying down the markers for where we might right. get to. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I talk about a lot of these things, just navigating that. It's like nothing else. I do think improv, for me, was something that was helpful in terms of just functioning in that room because it's so, so similar to improv in a lot of ways where oh you say something and I think of the next line right and I have those and you're listening doing, and you're listening yeah and you're pitching in character and but it doesn't help like story breaking improv doesn't teach you that's like a skill that's just built up or doing it a lot that to me those, those first few years in American Dad was just like watching that happen yeah. how stories work how this three act structure work what a blow is what do you need to build a story and I think that was I, I, we still talk about story in terms of how we learned it at American Dad really yeah I mean, yeah. it, it changes. Every show, you get your new version of it, and you kind of we take on new lessons. And obviously, American Dad wasn't the most like deeply emotional show. Right. It wasn't trying to be. But the story structure was there, and actually was kind of oddly uh, it's kind of this, tight. Yeah, it's the same where whatever show has to have it, and it's how people talk about it. Do yeah. they say, like, are, do they start with, like, what does the character want? Or do they start with what, you know? They, they ask different questions, but it's all to the same end of totally the one thing has to follow another in a logical sequence um so you get so you're there for four and a half years and then why did you leave and where did you go next uh it was always that thing we never quite were sure if american dad was gonna get renewed and um it's basically like a show on the bubble for 17 years or something like that and it was off cycle too so or off season it was like you never were quite up yeah, you weren't on hiatus for staffing season so it, kind it, of was like a, it was probably like we'd finished up around like a Halloween or a Thanksgiving and we ran into our friend Chris McKenna who had been on American Dad and he had since gone on to Community and he'd been really one of the big 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 voices behind Community with Dan Harmon and uh, he was like hey do you guys want to uh, come on the back nine of uh, season three and we were like oh this is kind of like a perfect uh, opportunity to get we love community already and it was like just like 
a perfect opportunity to get onto a live action show which was a goal for both of us I think we want yeah. as much as animation is amazing especially right. coming up with so great I think we just wanted to be on a set and just learn that aspect of right. that um, so yeah, you we, can you, you work in animation too long and then you're an animation writer yeah. and you, right. you can't get out exactly and that people definitely told us that and I think that we you know we were in a room with so many people who had come from live action that already had that you know experience we're like you know even if we just go do this for nine episodes and maybe go back to American Dad or go to another animated show at least we have it right um, and uh, so, but really it changed it changed everything just a complete opposite of the that animation schedule that I, I was talking about earlier where it's just like oh my god like there, you gotta get pages to stage right? and they need to build sets by tomorrow our first like... day on community they had there's a table read the next day because we were coming in mid-season so there was a table read the next day and we slept there we didn't go home right. so we got there at 10 in the morning and went home on at a eight, monday on a monday and went home at eight at night the next day it's a pretty notorious show in terms yeah of... we got a real <laughs> we have yeah, an the stories are true the stories are true yeah. Uh, yeah it's almost like we don't even need to add stories because but perfect the stories time in our lives like neither of us i maybe had just gotten married you just got married kids. neither of us had kids and yeah. it was like if you if there's a time in our lives to be sleeping under our desks for an hour a night that was it and that's what we did i mean we really would work until the showrunner walked out of the room at some point in the middle of the night, and then we would sort of say, "Okay, we go to our offices and take a nap, and then come back and keep going." So it was you, wild, really. So you weren't getting any kind of turnaround. You were really, you were there. Yeah, for those 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 yeah. uh, table your, read days. Did your head just go to legal place? Like, are we going to be uh, no no turnaround? Well, you say the word turnaround, that no, becomes writers, a writers, writers don't have a legal. That's true. Turnaround. There's no legal turnaround. No, you can work. No, yeah, listen, we didn't. The truth is that we didn't. I mean, it wasn't every single day, but it was several times a week. We were there all night, and you know, it yeah. was. Um, but it was also. I mean, it was also fucking amazing. Amazing. Right? It was Harmon amazing. Is like a, a genius of, of, of like no other. You're Chris McKenna re- is just like you're one of the best real deal geniuses. Yeah, it was, and that was. That was ins- it was insanely fun as as much as it was exhausting and right. being on like you know we got an we had an episode of Community that was insane like we had only written an animation all of a sudden we are writing an incredibly elaborate heist episode that was basically like an Ocean's Eleven but in twenty two minutes and we're at a production meeting and answering questions and we didn't know what the fuck we were doing and we're in this you know environment for the first time and it was that little that thing that everyone talks about of acting as if where we're all suddenly at the head of a table in a production meeting it's just, amazing that they let you guys do the yeah, show very irresponsible meeting. yeah totally yeah, irresponsible. for people that don't know the production meeting is where you know all the department heads are just sitting there you know firing questions at you what should this prop look like what do you want them wearing in this it's How a you, highly uh, stressful like bo- yeah. boardroom it's i mean i've done a lot of them and, it, and it's stressful every time and there's no they're always going to throw something at you that you're just like you hadn't thought through you don't know and you kind of have to answer i mean there's really no kind of like uh bullshitting your way through it because these are people there's carpenters waiting to build whatever you're talking about so arbitrary but decisive but decisive what i (laughs) i'm I'm gonna give a decisive answer even though it may because often it doesn't matter that much right you know so it's better just to sort of like, no, this, it should be this. And so like they have clear instructions. and That's what's amazing is you, you kind of like, you write these things like, oh, 
what does it matter, you know, we write a thing with like there's a big pair of scissors and then like the prop master like needs to know yeah. like are, are we talking they about a realistic inches? Are they 14 inches? inches? Are we talking about opening up like a frozen yogurt place and cutting a ribbon? Is it that sort of big? Like it's a it's a like Yeah, someone has to care. make all those things. Yeah. In a beautiful way. People care so much about doing a good job right. in each the, of these departments. The people that have actual legitimate skills Legi- have skills. to go and do their jobs and that's yeah, that was kind of the nice thing going. I mean, the animators were so awesome too, because it's like all of these artists and they're they're amazing at, at what they do and then seeing like this other type of artist like the prop people making these props like it's, physically making things yeah. that we are kind of writing maybe just as a like a, you know as a part of a joke yeah the throwaway joke throwaway joke so easy to write down yeah, and then yeah. someone has to do it I remember the first thing in community the first joke that I pitched and I don't even remember the context of the scene but it was about um, one of the characters you know conducting an animal symphony and I was like, I pitched something about a turtle wearing a bow tie. And all of a sudden, it was like I watched on the feed as they were making a turtle, you know, wear a bow tie. Oh and I was like, God. oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> like, what? Animation with what like a happening? year turnaround right. where you like maybe see a, you see some storyboards along the way and then go into like, we wrote that yesterday. And yeah. It's like, and they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. pretty satisfying. Yeah. So you were there. So you did those nine episodes. And yeah, we just did, did that season. And the end just, of that just, season. Just, just that. Yeah, the end of the tumultuous. It was. Yeah. I think they were. They were. They were new showrunner getting rid of Dan, and we were like, right. it was our I first experience know. of breaking a contract. Yeah, we were, we were coming. The, the the show, the future of the show, is very uncertain because the fourth season was not going to be run by Dan, and um, it just seemed like an opportunity. I don't know. It ended up being fine. The people who stayed had it. It was fine. Everything, yeah. everything's always fine. But we had an opportunity to just say, look, maybe we just start fresh on something else, and so we because it was also our first time. Being available for proper staffing season. That was our first time right. making the rounds, you know. So it's a little like, go back to that and who knows what's that, what that's going to be. Or go on to something new. And the idea of starting a show seemed really cool, just as far as having a new experience. So we went on to um, Ben and Kate was a show. Um, and that was all... Starring re- Nat Faxon Nat and uh, your just, Dakota Johnson. Nat's just like one of the funniest one people. One of the funniest, yeah. And nicest people ever. Um, and it was, you know, we were huge. This is not like to think of Ben and Kate as like a stepping stone to New Girl, but it wasn't that... Or it was produced by the same people, and it was Jake Kasdan, it was all... So we just loved that whole... We loved everything they were doing. Right. Um, and getting in on like the beginning of a show even the show the show didn't last that long but I thought the show was really good and the characters were great and we got to be a part of you know developing that which was a new skill for us so yeah such a different I mean it had been such a different thing you've been on two shows that you're coming in everything's established yeah everyone knows the voices you know what the you know the template for episodes is and then it's very different when you just have a pilot to go on yeah. you're still figuring out like well what is the show who are these people yeah and you, you know you guys get to be a part of that yeah for better or worse too yeah. then you're like oh wait a minute we gotta do like promos you know there's there's so much other stuff that goes goes into the launching, launching of the show yeah. yeah and everything's being so scrutinized scrutinized yeah, yeah. And that was a show. Was it a fall show? Did yeah, it, it was a fall show, and that also didn't. Show. I mean, only thing we went fourteen episodes. 15 yeah, episodes? but it was like New York Times was just like this is the one to watch, and it had a really big. Uh, it's like not a what little, you want. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. To be not. the indie want, darling no, of network be, TV is no, not a good. You want to thing. fly below the radar yeah. Yeah. and have no one really paying any attention and yeah. as you slowly build an audience. And you don't Let's have people find out about the show in the fourth season. Yeah, when it's big expectations. Yeah, exactly. You know, which are 
so much easier to underperform. Yeah. Um, but then so, when that went down, then we were able to jump on to New Girl, which is actually a show we had met on twice, I think. Well, that, we, met, we met a second time to get the job. We had already tried to get on that show once unsuccessfully. I feel and like then, we met on New Girl uh, after their season one, and it was one of those things where, like we were saying about hiring our agent, like on the way home from that, we called our agent who had finally agreed to be our agent at that point. But we were like, "Tell him we want the job. We'll start like right." With, and he was like, "All right, I don't think like you." And we didn't. I think they have to offer you. Yeah, they have to the offer job you the first. job. But we were just yeah. so sure the meeting had gone great. Yeah. We're like, we'll do it. We'll just do it. You know, we've, yeah. de- we've decided that we'll do it. And they're like, "Well, they don't. They don't want you." And then we worked on a Ben and Kate and had a good, really good experience, but the show went down and then we, uh, they needed people on New Girl. And so they, and because it was all in the family a bit, they yeah. were seeing, okay, well, these like, guys. Yeah. We got a second it chance. And literally we were on the second floor. They were on the first floor, I think. Yes. And it was produced by the showrunners Churn, were good friends. Catherine Pope. Liz and, uh, Merriweather and uh, Dana Fox were good friends. So it was all, it all felt very yeah. familial. And it was awesome because... Uh, I think that the way that worked out was like they were just like they kind of took us off the market like really early and we didn't have to we just knew we were going to be starting New Girl and we had like a couple months I think and yeah. I think I just maybe had my first son then and it kind of worked out nicely yeah where this like erratic being out of work thing is usually terrible that right. was like one of those situations no, every the, the, 10 years you get a thing where you yeah. know you have a job but it's two months from now yeah, yeah. And uh, it's uh, my like, legit hiatus yeah. is the greatest summer break ever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you've got summer break you yeah. get a job to get back to I mean you must uh, have had that at New Girl like the, the we years. did have that at New Girl once yeah. you got on that staff you were there for how many years we were there four years, four years. so each of those hiatuses you knew you were coming back yeah. pretty much I don't think they were, were it was ever uncertain Maybe, maybe the kind of thing where they tell you it's uncertain, but we, you know, you know, we weren't like taking yeah. meetings. We knew that we were coming back. Um, and the new girl was, I think, you know, it's so hard to say like what you're, uh, for me, it was obviously my favorite experience because my entire life changed because I uh, met my wife on that show and everything just got, everything was different. But it was the, uh, just creatively the one of the, I think the best thing yeah. that we, we can were imagine, big fans. best experience we can imagine. We were already that, big fans. That huge yeah. in a world where like you're, it's yeah, we we loved that. It's show. the spec script we would have written. Yes, if right. we were writing a spec script at that time. What was certainly one of your t- most favorite shows that were on TV. Yeah, you it's were like, actually for sure. It's I think it's, now it's like I realize how rare that is. It's like a show we were watching. You know, yeah. it's like we were a show we were watching not to catch up on it for a meeting. We were watching it like because we enjoyed watching. Yeah, that's yeah. a pretty rare yeah. thing. It's and, another show that is notorious for its hours. I think we, we <laughs> caught the tail end of that. It yeah. seems like I think By one and two were were long hours. Season three, Liz had seemed to like really vow to make it, and and she made it work with uh, Brett Bear and Dave Finkel, and it was. It was a really great setup by the time we got there, where it was just a lovely staff where everybody was able to contribute, and and it wasn't like staying all night. And it was the sh- I think the first show that we saw where I mean you, we'd seen this on previous shows, but this show really in particular it was people's real stories that were becoming the shows. Right. So we we're in a room that was just like family i mean everybody knew everything about right, every other person in that room share the most intimate yeah. things in order to yeah in a very, way that's very similar to friends like yeah it's a very you know it's a similar thing these are we're writing about people our age and we're we're the material for the show is what we did over the weekend it's and like last night's date that's yeah, on and you're on. hoping something embarrassing happens yes. to you or awful because it's like 
that was terrible, but at least I can come in and I have something to pitch in the room. Isn't that amazing superpower? Is like if anything terrible happens to you or embarrassing happens to you, you're like, oh my god, yeah. I got something to talk about tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's this helps um, me in my profession. Yeah, the this fact is that good... I just like did the most humiliating thing in front of this girl ever. Like, oh great, that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, were you as a team? Because I remember with, with with my old partner when we we had been on a couple shows and we were always in a room together. And then we got to friends and like the first day they're like, okay, Ted, you go in that room and Andrew, you're going to be in this room. And I remember going like, what? Well, yeah. yeah. What do you mean did, by that? Yeah. yeah. Like, well, no, we're a team. We, yeah. Did you guys have We're that? paid as a person. Like, yeah. Why are you like splitting a us up? Like, yeah. I don't know. I how... think that happened on New Girl for the first I think it was New Girl for the first time. time. I don't it was think... totally that feeling of like... Wait, yeah, we're like making eye yeah, contact with yeah, each other yeah. as we're walking out of the room. Like, are you going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? Yeah. Like, what's going Yeah, it was a weird feeling, but I think I'm really good for us yeah. just to get that skill of being in a room. I mean, it started to happen, especially as we went, uh, kind of went up the ranks at New Girl, of just like putting us in rooms where we're sort of starting to run rooms. And um, I think that we each got to develop our, like, just honestly, little technical things like how to be at the board, how to run a room and be at the board was not something that was kind of being asked of us until New Girl. And right. As they started to split us up, I think we both got much more comfortable doing that. Yeah, which is great because when you do run a show, you need at least two showrunners. Like, you both yeah. have to be... Yeah. You can't... You you know, you, you would, won't be able to be, you know, both in the same in room all place. the time because there's... You yeah. Know, you have to be independent in that way. Yeah. There's too many things to do. Yeah, you. it was really like uh, kind of discovering once you get over the the insecure fear of being without your creative partner when you yeah when you start to realize your own strengths um it's uh you the realization that like oh my god we there's two of us we can we can accomplish twice as much and then you really feel comfortable in your job you know you're like oh man they're getting a deal with us which is a great because you always feel like so i don't know as long as you're tight enough it seems like you guys are your old friends what often happens at that point is like what the fuck why am i splitting right right, this guy like i can do it without well we both hate ourselves so we went the other way that didn't happen in our partnership but but we were lucky uh, you know that's i saw it happen a lot I saw it. Yeah. I mean, once you're you're functioning in that way, which is the natural course and is great for a partnership, what often happens is people start to resent splitting the paycheck. Why am I making sure. half of, literally you half of what everyone else in the room is making? Yeah. Yeah. But I think for both, I mean, to me, it helped me enjoy the job a lot more because I think I worried less about whether or not I should be there, which is kind of how I felt for the first <laughs> several years of working in this job. It's like, do I deserve to be here? And then when you kind of realize, well, we're at least... The two of us functioning as well as an individual, and then it's like, oh no, the, we're individually functioning as well as an individual, and, and then you start to feel like, okay, we can maybe do this in a sustainable way. And then, at what point do you start writing pilots? We started writing pilots. What was our third year at New Girl? We we signed an overall deal at twentieth, um, and so we were working. We we're still full time at New Girl throughout, but then that was the first year that we wrote a pilot in addition to being um, on staff. I think it was either second or second or third year at New Girl, probably third. Yeah, third. It was a third and fourth year we were on yeah. a, a deal. And so that's at, a new thing, Fox. right? Because yeah. you guys, you'd written specs of existing show. You basically just written 
existing shows. Yeah, we'd actually written point. one. The first thing that we wrote, and I think we wrote it maybe when we were trying to get on New Girl. Uh, the first time we wrote the, for the first time did this idea of writing an original. Yeah, was, we posted it was on that Thirty Rock for a for long a while. time, and <laughs> Woo! we were like, eh, maybe we miles should, uh, on well, that the, thing. Well, the era had changed. The era had no changed. one's reading the Thirty no. Rock anymore. People it's a are sample, right? Yeah. Yeah. People are writing original. So we wrote an original. Is the first time we wrote about our friendship, where two characters were really just kind of like walking through the world as if they were the two of us, and the show had not a ton of plot but it was really just about the kind of easy cadence of two friends and, and how um, did you face the challenge the inevitable challenge of having them not be comedy writers and, uh, they, they worked in an ad they worked in an advertising yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> so embarrassing but but it really was so not about their job it's like we just had to give them a job yeah. because they had to at least seem like they were people in the world but it was really about them spending an afternoon fucking around and walking around which is maybe not the most like probably sort not of we... like amazing that we got anything off of that script because it was like it was one of those ones again like it was so personal and it was so easy breezy and I don't think we followed a lot of the structure rules that we knew at that point but we were still like that you know stage direction flourish kind of thing we're like this will just get us like some attention and People, it had a really good response. Yeah, we that was another one we could we we coasted on that one for a while too. But it was really like it was I guess sort of if I could say it was about anything. It was about Matt was married at the time and had a small kid, and I was unmarried. But we were best friends and and sort of each jealous of each other's lives because I always wanted to be married and have a kid. And um, you know, not that you didn't want to, but there's you know that thing where you look at your single friend. It's hard not to be like, oh, wish I could do whatever I I want. There's also a thing I feel like now that we almost gotten a show going we've had to do a lot of of reading of writers and it i think that what people probably responded to with that is something that we respond to which is like you read this script and you're like i know exactly who these people are and i think that's a i think that's a a a good way to think about writing a script right a, the spec script especially. I think it sounded like because it is the yeah, first like, thing I know, as soon as we walked into the room they were like alright which one of you is which yeah. right. if they read it yeah but, it's an interesting point because you do when you're reading in this new world where you're just reading original material. I am the same way. It's it's nice. Oh, this is a real original voice and a, yeah. a clear voice. Well, now I'm going to bring that person in and make them not use that voice at <laughs> right. all. It's a They're weird just, thing. All they are here hired to do is mimic my voice. Yeah. And so it is. I always thought that it's like the old spec version. That system was kind it was of better. more. It was better. I useful. will say it was more yeah. useful because what you need to know is not like is this a wildly original writer? Right. It's just like can you come in. And mimic the tone and voice of the show. Of the show. Especially now where people like aren't even writing scripts. It's just like, oh, I wrote a napkin. I wrote like a version of a bar napkin that describes a steakhouse. And it's so funny. But it's like, great. It's like a conceptual art piece. Yeah. But I have no idea if you could work on a TV show. So I do think, I don't know. I feel like you should have both. I, not that I, I, having tried to staff a show and like having just read a bunch of scripts, I would never read two scripts from somebody. But yeah, ideally, <laughs> ideally, you'd be like, can you write an episode of, of you know this. of the yeah. fucking but, middle but or the, whatever? And can you? Um, but at the same time, you want to stand out. Someone yes. has to just make you know just there's a huge stack and like how okay this stands out. Will yeah. you bring something? And you and yeah. I think what happens is. That is a good specter, right? Career-wise, yeah. because you do need to just separate yourself out. Yet it is no indication of whether you're going to be successful. I know on that no. staff at all, it's, and I think it's where a lot of mistaken hires. I totally come from. Yeah, and I don't know a way, a way around it because I get I understand the thinking through every step of the process, and it's just like, but no, that's 
can, you know, someone should be able to, you know, when we were, when I was starting out, it was just like, a Frasier and a Seinfeld are going to have such completely different tones. If you had those two specs, you did them both well. It's just <laughs> yeah. like, well, this yeah. person is a solid bet. Like, You've covered TV. These, these two voices, great. I don't know what their pilot would sound like, but I don't care. Yeah. I'm hiring to write pilots. It's just a very different, it's just such great. a different skill. Um, but so you guys, for other teams or whatever, what's your, I was like, what's the process when you guys write process has changed. I mean, I'd say yeah. when we started off, we wrote every word together. I mean, really the two of us sitting shoulder to shoulder with one keyboard, um, taking turns, taking turns typing. You, you Matt is a better, better on the keys than I am. <laughs> um, I'm wild on the keys, but no, we would trade off and we would really just sit and write every word together. But I think as we've evolved, we now, every everything that's a new thought we do together. So if we're breaking a story, if we're talking through a character, anything, we're doing it together, but we're usually just talking about it and taking notes and then we'll divide things up write them separately bring them back together either cross them back over or whatever i've done matt will take a pass on and vice versa or we'll give each other notes and then go home and and keep working on them just as a way to get more done yeah right but it still ends up coming down to the two of us sitting together and working yeah one last or two passes there's always always going to be screen pass i I think it's honestly a function of being in writers rooms now we sort of just treat ourselves like a mini writers room like how would you do it if you were 10 people we just do as two yeah it's interesting it's big Basically, what you're describing is really exactly the trajectory that I had with with yeah. Dad, like, and I think it's so. How do we prevent it, it, from it, breaking it, up? It's, it's, like, oh, no. <laughs> it's not the worst thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, this is a very nice office. But um, it, it's you go, there's the speed that you can have when you yeah. just get. But it would still be when I would look at a script or look at it, I wouldn't remember. Did I write that? Yeah, the original version because we had gone through it, gone over it together so much that it really did become. It was both of ours by the end, and you didn't remember if you'd written the first draft of that. Well, that yeah, when you brought up but, the joke earlier, your favorite joke with a lice one, I'm like, when I said, I hope it's mine, like, I honestly think you, that was like a complete I collaboration yeah. of like, yeah, so. Almost nothing is one of us or the it's other rare. in what we write. It's and so it, interesting because they have p- partnerships, you know, you don't know how to put that together. I remember when on, this pi- on the set of this pilot we just shot, a PA was talking to me and asking because she wanted to write with a partner and she was like well she's writing a draft and I'm writing a draft and then we're going to put it together and do a best of and I was like never heard of anything I've so never crazy. Heard of, that seems like a terrible I, idea. I was like, yeah. that's what I told her. I was like, I want to be really, I want to be You're polite about this. You're just going to fight over everything. That sounds like a horrible idea. Yeah. I do think you have to, whether it's the two of you sitting and doing it together until you get your rhythm or just talking through everything together, but you then you, you can't compete yeah. in your partnership in, in that kind of unhealthy and way. And are you guys, are you, do you fight over stuff? Do you just stew and seethe? Or do I you? I'm not pretty good at talking about it. We've had to have some talks. You know what I mean? I think it's like the. But it's exactly what he just said. It can't be competitive. Yeah. We're like rooting for each other because it, it's in the best interests of both of us. And Alex is the funniest person I know. So everything he, I mean, it's like you're the goal is the same, and I'm like not trying to. I don't have that ego thing that. Right. It's I need a, it to be. You about it being yeah. your joke over his. There will be disagreements like, occasionally over like what's funny, and that's always kind of weird because we generally think the same things are funny. So it's like, it, it, yeah, it's always interesting to kind of float something that one of us doesn't believe in, but we'll give but each other the permission it. to yeah. and be honest about it. And be like, yeah, that did not work, or like that worked. I was wrong. Sorry. Right. Yeah. 
but it, yeah, it's kind of like 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 the micro version of the room thing. I do always love teams just because I do feel like that's how a writers' room works anyway. Right. It's not about it being your joke. No. Or anything. So you. There's it's great a, for comedy to yeah. just have that, and then just like you said, you, you know, if a team is working well, it's all about. You know, Alex, you're trying to make Matt laugh with your stuff. You know, if you're writing your stuff on yeah. here, you're just like, I, I yeah. want him to laugh when he reads this yeah. stuff. Just like in a writer's room, people you know, just have asked me, like, well, how are you writing? You were, you were, you were writing on Friends and you knew 30 million First people of all, were, which were watching. Yeah. Yeah, which right. character did you get that? <laughs> yeah. And you also get, like, how did you? It's just like, I never. Never thought about the the audience at home. I thought about the people in that room. It was just like I wanted to make those people in that room laugh. That was like the greatest goal and yes. the greatest achievement. If they laughed, like that was what it was all about. And that's you know, in a partnership, it should be the same thing. It's just like I want him to read this, you know, my scenes and be like, oh, this is awesome. You no, know? it's incredible. Um, on American Dad, and we've never been on a show that's done it this way since. But the joke room would at the end of the day pick a representative to go into the big room where the, you know, the heavy hitters were and just read all the jokes out loud. It's basically doing like a stand-up set. And they weren't all your jokes. You would just, you know, whoever was reading would read all of them and then whichever joke got the biggest laugh would go into the show. But it was never about who wrote who it. Who wrote it. You just, yeah. You're going in as an ambassador of the joke room, room to read them all. And any victory is a victory any vic- for all of you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it, that's the collaborative thing that people have to understand. You know, why, you know... TV, the great thing about TV is that, that communal, collaborative feeling that you yeah. just all work towards a goal. And the people that aren't good at it and just tend to be are the people who are just think like, it's all about them and what you know, what did they get in? And I pitched that, right? You know, it's or I'm breaking like, my own version of this story over here, yeah, like, like pitching it, something that's totally off no, base because it, I'm, I'm in my own head the entire yeah. time. I mean, I always felt like you know, there should be part of the unwritten code is. Like, say, if an actor likes a joke, it's just like, oh, who pitched that? The response from any writer should be, it was the room. Yeah. yeah. You should always say, and yeah. if I ever, you know, ever spot a writer's just like, well, that was mine. It's just like, you're dead to me. Like, right. you yeah. are not part of this, like... But it also works both ways. If an actor's like, I don't understand this joke. Like, ah, it was the room, you know, <laughs> right. the room. But, yeah, well, listen, well, well, yeah, but yeah. I'm here now, so we'll work, we'll work on it. We'll make it yeah. better. But, yeah, the room. So, all right. So, hearing Lenny's out loud... What were you, any thoughts, any like feelings after It was you know, wild to hear out loud. I don't know. It was just, it was, I think, you know, when you write something and that you, that you, we really liked that script and didn't get to shoot it. So I think that part of us just put it away because it's kind of sad when something right. you like doesn't go. And I made you just do it. it yeah, I was definitely, I was definitely nervous to, really nervous to hear it. I think when we, you know, sat down, when they started, when the actors got up on stage, I was almost like, physically shaking just because I was I don't know it was like why are we doing this because if, if it's good I'm gonna feel sad that it's not on TV and if it's bad like I've just voluntarily put myself through something horrible for no reason but it um, was so much fun like it was really I think afterwards we felt kind of like uh, invigorated yeah yeah I mean it's uh, I was nervous because you know we just shot a pilot and we did a the director that was, was on it Todd Holland had his way of doing it was we did a table read with with the actors like similar to lead to this like very early on and hearing our draft for the first time it was like so it needed so much work it was sobering it was sobering I'm like of course yeah like that it these things need a lot more work before you see them on on their feet so the fact that it seemed like the audience I I found it funny I thought Jack McGee was so funny Sabrina was it was all great and I'm like 
I was I was really surprised, honestly, that that it was entertaining. Yeah, yeah, and and it it really was, and and part of like I said about the cold open, like it's so key to a pilot, and and it's such a great one, you know, and, you know, and obviously Jack McGee, this like miraculous thing where we got Jack like yeah. two days yeah, before yeah, the meeting, yeah. and he ended up being absolutely perfect, perfect just so actor. odd, but and just from perfect. the you know, look, I get nervous before these read suits, like I didn't write it, I just, but I still, I yeah. you know, want. And as soon as he started singing that scat kind yeah. of song, I was just like, Oh, we got we're it. good. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. we got this. You know, he's bringing just that, the energy of it is so much fun. And you have that great punchline at the end. It's just like, okay, you know, you've, you've gotten an audience on your side with this guy, you know, from the beginning. And then, and then Drew, Drew Carver. Oh, my God. You know, again, I, I really feel like in this case, like the cast... That we have. It's probably like, better than we would have I know. Cast, I know. These guys were just like, I feel like, oh, Busy's perfect. Rob Hubel's perfect. Drew Tarver's, you know, like, it was, um, and Drew some... and Jack McGee, like, had this great chemistry. And you realize, like, what you guys wrote, that, that thing of the, this young guy and his grandfather, the thing that, Matt, like, you had with your grandfather, it was really a fun dynamic that you don't see a ton of um, on TV shows. Like, a guy in his 20s and his 70-something your old grandfather who's still this very vibrant guy like you know teaching him life lessons and this it's a really that made me feel um oh there's there's legs to the you know had it gone there is a show here because even there's lots of great relationships and dynamics in the show but that one at its which i felt like my instinct was this show had gone that was where you were going to yeah. end up writing to so much like those totally. two you want to see them going on adventures and picking up girls and whatever it is yeah. like and it worked um, yeah in that respect it was a bummer to see <laughs> yeah. It, truly, it, yeah I mean it, it was invigorating we're like oh yeah it was something we loved that we wrote a long time ago that that just kind of died and you're like it, what how, what the difference in this business where it's like it's so close it's so close no nope, never see it again it's yeah. like no it's a weird I always think about being in this business being like a real sociopath because you have to care about something so much and really like put everything into it and then as soon as it goes away you're like okay I never I loved it yeah I don't, I don't care I don't care I don't give a shit and yeah. that's what we had to do with that thing yeah because you, you don't even own it you know it's not even your thing anymore like you just you, someone else has the has like control of it and um yeah, you have to, let's not bring up those legal issues. You walk yeah. away. Yeah, oh, right. That's a very yeah. interesting uh, thing. But, well, uh, you know, radio is a very yeah, different it's thing. its own thing. Um, um, yeah. But but no, you're right. It's almost if you mourn too much, you know, you people sort of judge you. Like just grow up. Grow right? up. You know? Yeah. And it's just, but it is really painful. And and this one, I would think, in particular, when I read it, it just felt like it hadn't been through a blander. It felt like it had this specificity. You could tell you guys are writing people you know and family members and, and every character just kind of pops. And so, you know, obviously that's going to be, you know, you're going to have those feelings of, oh, this could have really been somebody. But I'm glad that there was also that sort of invigorating. Like, because for me, I know, like, oh, I just heard some people laugh at the stuff I wrote. Oh, like, yeah. That's kind of really all. I yeah, that saying. was honestly <laughs> it. That was really it. And it was fun. Like, they made it really fun. I think particularly Drew and, and Jack together were just so much fun to yeah, watch. I could watch a lot more yeah. of those two guys together. You never know. Yeah, you just never. I mean, we've never been on a uh, aside from when I was a night PA on Reba. We've never written for a uh, multicam, so right. we've never had that live audience experience. You have table reads, table reads, yeah, which are great. But uh, it had been a while since uh, since we kind of got that just pure 
this is what it's this is why we're doing it kind of thing just like write some funny jokes and just to hear yeah. live laughs yeah it's like, in a comedy why, club that's why we do yeah. it yeah really yeah why yeah with a two yeah. drink minimum yeah, yeah, yeah it, was I know. Great. it was kind of cool i'd never been there um and so now you guys are back to the drawing board oh well, yeah but we're, also, we're on a staff right yeah, yeah we went so we're on our maybe final year of a deal at ABC so we're going to be developing new ideas and then we are on the single parent staff which is awesome because it is kind of like a new girl continuation staff I mean half of the room is new girl people so you get that mix of sort of comfort but then totally new people too and new characters I mean the show isn't a continuation of new girl but the some of the people behind it are so we got to kind of go back to comfortable waters in a way, but also challenge ourselves with totally new characters. And it's uh, like you said about the Friends uh, era. We're both in an era in our life right now where the kids' stories are just uh, yeah, right. Yeah, that's what you have. Yeah, yeah. You're generating we have small those every kids. Day. So yeah. you're generating dating stories no. every day, but you're right. generating kids' stories. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's nice to write whatever phase of life you're in. Yeah, it's, yeah. The stories are like you know. This some tiny little thing. It doesn't matter how small yeah. the kernel is. If it's real, I find it, it's going to lead to a great yes. story. Because it'll be specific. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, that's kind of the lesson, I think, from, from the Lenny thing, from everything, is just the biggest cliche, but of just how much better it is when it's really, you can't really fake it that well. Yeah. I don't know. It was nice to be in those meetings because when you pitch a show, you're in just so many meetings where you're just talking about the show. And you can really kind of bullshit your way through it, but it was nice to have a show where we actually. Well, the Lenny were, one? Yeah, yeah the we, Lenny. We were saying we, real things. At the end of the pitch, we like, and if our grandfathers knew we were here today uh, trying to make money <laughs> off of uh, their legacies, they would be thrilled. And then like, we held up pictures of our, our dead grandfather. Oh, we put on a whole oh, show. Yeah. Oh, we do a whole thing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. You know, you kind of... Yeah. I I personally would prefer that to people who come in and just read something yeah. off, the, off the page. Well, yeah, in a team, you're kind of forced to, like, practice your pitch yeah. a little bit. Are you guys off book when you pitch? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes the book so, is in hand, but we're, yeah. we're off book. Yeah. yeah. We, we practice it. We practice within an inch of our lives. So the... The quote unquote improvs in there are even like. Sure. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Which is always uncomfortable when it's like, I don't know if you have a director attached or someone else coming with you on all of the different. Yeah, you're a you studio just, executive. You just yeah. pray they don't pipe up at the wrong moment right, and throw right. your rhythm off. But you're also aware that they've like heard it four yeah, times yeah, that day if you're true. going from yeah. ABC to CBS. And, uh, yeah. yeah, you can't be self conscious about yeah, it. Yeah, whatever. We're all just, you know, we're all just doing our best. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, it was it was great. I'm glad you guys. Oh had man, fun thank you for thank you thank you for inviting you. us to be a part of this. It was really cool. You gave us like a, a it feels like a gift because we there's no way we would have ever, you know been able to hear it out loud like that ever, no matter what. So thank that's you. Cool. That's what we like to do. Yeah. Well, thanks guys. Thank you. All right, that's it for our show this month. This show is produced by myself and Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Findling. Thanks to everyone at the Hollywood Improv. Uh, please subscribe to this podcast. I tell you every time. Hopefully you've done it. Uh, don't want you to miss an episode and leave us a rating. If you like the show, leave us a rating. It really helps. Um, and you can follow us uh, on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram and Facebook at Dead Pilot Society. You'll find out all the details about our live shows, including the one coming up Saturday, September 14th at the WGA West Theater. Until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening.